0: If you've been here at GRX for a little while, you know that we are in a series called the 40 Days of Prayer and connecting with God every day. This idea that we are now in the season of Lent, which is the 40-day season before Easter, which is in mid-April. And in this 40-day season of Lent, traditionally called in the church, it's the season of prayer, reflection, and reconnecting ourselves in a very intentional way with God, building our relationship with God through connecting with God every day in prayer, both speaking and listening to God. And today we're going to look at something uh, which I'm calling prayer and the success of others. Prayer and the success of others. Praying for people, not just praying for our own needs, but praying for other people and praying for their success. I was thinking about this, and actually I thought up here with the worship team, I thought uh, Tim's shirt was perfect for, I don't know if you noticed his shirt, Tim, thank you for modeling that. Um, Tim's shirt says athlete on it. Um, and first of all, I thought that was really fitting for Tim because he is an athlete. You know, he's, but also, uh, sorry, that was supposed to be a joke. That's to, I'm sorry, Tim. I'm teasing you a little bit. So, oh man, okay, I, I need to go to... Can, Okay, I'll need to go to confession, also, after this. But I was like, that's perfect. His t-shirt is perfect. Tim's an athlete. And I was thinking about athletes. And when we see our favorite athlete, and they are competing, we cheer for them. We cheer for their success. If you're watching a basketball game, and you're watching some great player, like Steph Curry or something, he brings the ball down and he pulls up and he's about to shoot that three. You cheer for him, for him to succeed. Now, I brought something to also try to illustrate this and uh, I'm going to hold it up here. Uh, I don't know if everybody can see this, but it's a little bit small, but um, does anybody know what this is? Yeah. Yeah. It's a cowbell. It's a cowbell. Now, um, I don't know how many people are out here, but if you're a fan of cycling, of international cycling, and you like these races like Tour de France or even Tour of California, it's the best cyclists from around the world, and they compete on these giant road races. There's a Tour of California, and it actually rode through San Jose. And you can see world-class cyclists. Well, what happens, if you've ever been watching any road race, cycling race, because a lot of them have their roots in Europe, what people do is they stand along the sides of the road, and when the cyclists are coming through, you hear a lot of this. Because people have these cowbells, especially out in rural Europe, and they're ringing these bells. And it's the way for them to cheer on their cycling athletes. And um, if you even go to one of these road races around here, you might even hear some people ringing these cowbells. Because, I mean, there are not a lot of cows here in the Bay Area anymore. But people, if you're a cyclist, you know that ringing a cowbell means we're cheering you on, cheering you on in your race. Cheering you on to succeed. That's what prayer is like. Prayer for other people, for the success of other people, is like ringing this cowbell or cheering for an athlete at an event. You're praying for them and praying for them to succeed. Today we're going to look at a couple of models for this in Scripture particularly in the early church. So we're going to look in the book of Acts and see how people are praying for the success of other people in the early church. The first passage we're going to look at is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. It's praying for other people to succeed. Now, let me give you a little background before we actually read the passage. And what this is is um, that's okay. You can you can put the passage up. That's fine. Um, what's going on is that it's in the early church, the first century church, and you've got uh, all these widows that are in the church. And there's something called the daily distribution of food. It's where the church was getting together and giving food to the widows as a way of sustaining them and as a way of caring for them. Now, what you have in the early church is you have Uh, pretty much like these two main communities of people. I mean, they're going to show up in this passage. There are the Jewish people, or the Jewish-speaking people, and they have a group of widows. And then there's another group of widows that are called the Hellenists, or they're Greek-speaking. I mean, Helen, Helen of Troy, that's the idea of the Greek-speaking people. So if you see the word Hellenist, it means you're Greek-speaking. So the Hellenists had their group of widows. And what was going on in the early church was that the Jewish widows were receiving food. The Jewish widows were being taken care of. But the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. There was a little bit of injustice. You could say social injustice, even in the early church. And this was a problem. So they were trying to figure out what to do. How do we care for both sets of widows? Okay, and then we're going to see some leaders that emerge and how these leaders are prayed for, for their success. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, it goes that like this. Now in these days, it's the early church, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose, the Greek-speaking Jews. There was a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, the Jewish-speaking Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that's the twelve original disciples of Jesus, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Basically, we shouldn't give up the ministry of the word of God in order to engage in the ministry of the serving of the widows. We shouldn't give up the ministry of the word for the ministry of the tables. Therefore, a proselyte, that means a convert a convert to Judaism, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. These they set before the apostles, these seven, to serve the widows, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. You'd almost miss this. you sort of you pass over it. But it was actually something that was practiced in the early church. You choose people for ministry, and you pray, and you lay hands on them. And that's what these seven were created, they were were gathered together for, for the food distribution of the widows. The ministry that was very much needed, but being neglected in the church. And they gathered the seven, it was good for the community, and they prayed for them, and they laid hands on them an indication of blessing. Do you know that here at GRX, we do the same thing? We as a community practice this, and it comes out of this early church. It comes out of this early church practice. We're going to be having vacation Bible school coming up in the summertime, and every time when we prepare for vacation Bible school, which is our summer summer camp, we get all of the people who are serving The VBS, Vacation Bible School team, we stand up. They stand up and in the midst of worship on Sunday, we pray for them. We pray for them to succeed in the ministry of Vacation Bible School. That God would work in them and through them for the sake of other people. So that they'd succeed. At Easter time, we're going to be doing some baptisms and dedications When we baptize someone, when an individual person comes to be baptized, they profess their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we baptize them with water, and then what do we do? We gather around them, we lay hands on them, and we pray for them. We're praying for their success in their Christian life. Even when parents will bring their kids for baptism or dedication. We gather around them. It wasn't too long ago that we had several families and we gathered here in GRX in different parts of our room. And we gathered around these families who were dedicating or baptizing their kids. And then we laid hands on them to bless them. And then different ones of us, and then us communally, we all prayed for them. We do that to pray for the success of, of their family, so that as parents, they would be successful in raising their kids. We pray for the kids, that they would be successful in life. They would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So that's what we do. We are cheering people on. Individuals, families, ministry teams. We're cheering them on for them to succeed. That's what got me so excited About this first ever reset snow trip. And if you were here, you saw the video. I heard the funnest thing was when all the youth and all the leaders got in this giant mass of humanity at the top of the hill, and then they all slid down screaming and yelling. You know, you come back and you you know you you talk to youth leaders and you go, How was it? And they go, Oh, it was good you can really tell how well it is when the youth leader has lost their voice because they're screaming. But not screaming in agony. I I know, you might think going off on a snow trip with a bunch of youth kids, you'd be screaming in agony the whole time. But you're screaming, you're having all this great fun. And what you're doing as a leader, as an adult leader, is you're modeling what it means to be an adult, a mature person, a whole person, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, isn't it remarkable? We have adults within our church that will spend time with kids who are not their own or youth who are not their own in order to invest in them and love them. That just reminds me of like the early church, serving the widows. Here we have people serving the kids, serving the youth, loving them, investing in them. And that's why I think it's so important for us as a church to pray, to pray for the leaders, to pray for them, to cheer them on, for them to be successful. And you know if you're a leader, you're praying for your kids. You know if you're a life group leader, you are praying for the people in your life group. You know if you are one of the key worship leaders, you're praying for the people on your worship team. That's how prayer for others works. You pray for others, and then as they are leading, they are also praying for the people that they are leading. That's how prayer works, as we pray for the success of others. It trickles down. In the East Bay, there's a park up there on the hills, and it's been there for decades. I think they first put it in in like the 1940s or something like that. But it's still there today it's very beautiful and people go and, and see it and it's actually called the cascades and what it is is it's it's one of these streams that comes out of the East Bay hills and what they've done is that they've created a pool and the water from the stream comes down and collects into this pool and then once the pool gets to a certain height then the water flows out and it flows down into the next pool and then it collects there And then it fills up, and then it flows down into the next pool, and into the next, and down and down and down. And that whole park area is called the Cascades, because the water flows from one pool down to the next, down to the next, down to the next. Praying for others is like that. We pray for others who then pray for others, who then pray for others. We catch a glimpse of this later on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, where Paul and Barnabas, who are leaders in the early church, they're church planters, and they go around to this whole area in what's now known as modern-day Turkey, that area right by the Mediterranean. And they are traveling down this major road that connects these big cities, Ephesus and Antioch. And as Paul and Barnabas are traveling down this road, they go to these smaller cities, derby Lystra. And what they're doing is they're planting churches. But they're not remaining in these churches. What Paul and Barnabas do is they plant a church, and then what you're going to see, we're going to read this in a little bit, they're not staying there. They're choosing leaders, and then they're praying for those leaders, for their success in the ministry, in the place where they are. So listen to this. Acts chapter 14. Another glimpse into the early church about praying for other people. Paul and Barnabas have already planted these churches and now they are returning to some of the churches where they went to. Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those are the cities. So Acts chapter 14, starting at 21. They're talking about Paul and Barnabas. When they... Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to that city and this is a city called Derby. You can you know that's from a little bit before in this chapter. When Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to that city of Derby and had made many disciples they returned. This is they'd already been to these cities. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, they must enter the kingdom of God. These early Christians in these early churches, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, they were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing trouble. And they're like, what am I doing? How should what, I'm a new Christian. I'm leading this church. And they are going back and encouraging them, saying, you're going to suffer a lot. There's going to be a lot of tribulation. But hold on. Hold on. And then this. And, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, with prayer and with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. See, Paul and Barnabas were passing through. But like that cascade, they were investing in and praying for the leaders that they had left in each of those cities. And then this is so interesting. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. They committed them. They were praying for their success for the Lord. You know, this word committed them to the Lord, it's so interesting because there's another place where it's also used by Jesus. When Jesus is on the cross and Jesus dies, he says in a prayer He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus dying says, Father, I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That is the exact same word that's used here in the book of Acts. They prayed with fasting. And then they committed these leaders to the Lord. They placed these leaders into God's hands for God to work in them. When I think about praying for the success of others, I think about it in terms of prayer as an act of loving commitment. Praying for others is an act of loving commitment. Paul and Barnabas are not remaining in those cities. In loving commitment, they are praying for these leaders. And that's true when we pray for other people. We are lovingly committing them to God's hands. It's loving because we're desiring the good of someone else. We love these people, and so we pray for them, and we desire good for them. But it's also an act of commitment when we pray for someone else because we desire a good for them beyond what we ourselves can provide. When you pray for someone else, you're praying for a good in their life that you yourself cannot provide. And so you commit them to God who can provide for them. An example of this is something as simple as when we pray for someone who's job hunting. I mean, people are job hunting all the time in the valley, and you might have had an opportunity to pray for somebody. Praying for someone and for their success is an act of love and commitment because you're praying for them to find a good job. So you're desiring for them something good in their life, a job, an occupation. But you don't have a job for them. You don't have a job that you can provide for them. So you commit them to God, for God to provide for them. So that praying for others, the success of others, is an act of loving commitment. You might know some people in really tough personal situations relationships that they know are not going well. Maybe you know somebody whose marriage is struggling or co-worker and their relationships, their work relationship is really toxic. When you pray for them, for their success, you are praying in a loving and a committed way. You are loving them because you want good for their relationships and then you are committing them to God, and to God's care. They might even be in a situation that seems hopeless. But see, this is the power of Christianity. In Jesus Christ, there's always hope. And that's the expression of our prayer. The expression of our hope is prayer. Because we can't make something better. We can't change that. We can't fix that. But we pray in love, committing it, because God can. God can change. And that's the beauty of our life together. That we can pray for the success of one another. That we can share with each other what's really going on. We can be authentic and true with each other, with our joys and our pain with our success and our struggle. And in the hard things, we can pray for others in loving commitment because we desire good for their life and because we commit them to God for God's care. Now, I'm going to say one more thing here, one more point, really, about praying for the success of others, and this is actually difficult. So if you are here at GRX and you know, you're just exploring Christianity, but you're not a follower of Jesus, then you don't need to pay attention to this next part. So you're off the hook. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to put on your seatbelt, put on your crash helmet, because this is where praying for others really gets difficult. This is a really hard part of this. Jesus teaches about praying for others And he says something that's very hard about what it means to pray for others. And Jesus says, when we pray for others, we also need to pray for our enemies. This is a hard calling for the followers of Jesus Christ. We actually need to pray for people who are our enemies, who persecute us, who maybe put us in really difficult situations. This is not going to come up on the board but I'd like you to listen to how Jesus talks about praying for others. And it talks about, and Jesus talks about even the success of others. Jesus says in Matthew 5, beginning at verse 43, he says, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the non-Christians, do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Bless them. Now, that's a hard word. So how would you go, man, how would I pray for them, their success? Several weeks ago, we had a guest preacher, Jean Chang-Gorman, who came and spoke. And I loved the way that she talked about praying for people and moving from bitterness to peace. It was the last uh, uh, message that we did in our emotion series, Emotional Maturity. And Gene offered this four-word prayer, praying for enemies, praying for people that persecute us. Four words, God, heal their brokenness. And that's how we pray for our enemies. God, heal their brokenness. That's the way that we do that. I'm going to end the message with praying for others. We're actually going to do this as a church community. We're going to do this collectively. Praying for the success of others. And the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to lead us in praying for different people. And then what I'm going to do is at the end of each sort of section of prayer, I'm going to say this, this phrase, This we pray to the Lord. And then what I'd like to invite our GRX community to do, I'd like to invite all of you to also pray along with me by saying, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, hear our prayer. If some of you come from a liturgical church tradition, this will sound very familiar to you. I'll be praying, and then I'll say the phrase, this we pray to the Lord, and then you would all say, Lord, hear our prayer, as an expression of that. Let's just try this right now, and then I'll lead us into the prayer. I'll be praying along, and then I'll say, this we pray to the Lord. And then you'd all say, Lord, hear our prayer. So I'd say, this we pray to the Lord. Then you would say, Lord, hear our prayer. All right, let's close this message by praying together. Lord God, in the early church, you call us again and again. We see again and again that your early church prays for other people. So God, there are so many people that we can be praying for, but God, just in this moment as a church, this moment as we worship together, God, I want to lift up a few different groups of people that we have. So God, first of all, thinking about here at GRX, there's so many people that serve here in our church. God, so I thank you for so many people dedicated to this church and this community. So, God, I want to lift up to you our Kids Zone leaders who are right now loving on our kids over in the other wing of King's Academy. God, I lift up our Kids Zone teachers. Thank you, God, for them. God, I lift up our Reset leaders who do all kinds of stuff with our youth. God, thank you for the way that they're investing in them. God, I pray for our Life Group leaders. Thank you for their preparation for their administration, God, for their organization, for the ways that they're calling us as a community to get to know each other better. Thank you, God, for the spaces that they're creating for us to know one another. God, I thank you for our worship leaders who even this Sunday are leading us in service. For all the other Sundays, for the times that they lead us on retreat, thank you, God, for our worship leaders. And then, God, I thank you for our staff and our leadership team. God, thank you for the way that our leadership team Praise for our church. Thank you for the way that our staff lead us. God, for all the people that are serving at GRX, this we pray to the Lord. Lord, you're our prayer. God, I pray for our mission teams, our kids' club, the folks that are serving there. I thank you, God, for the folks that are leading at City Team, for the folks that went to Gleanings, for the folks that went to Philippines, for the Shim family, God, and the way that they're serving for the Chan family in Asia, God, we lift them up. This we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. God, I pray for those who are in need. God, you know those among us who are looking for jobs in this tough environment. God, for our friends and family who are facing health issues and are in pain. God, for those who are facing financial issues and uncertainty in the future. God, we lift them up, praying that you would provide for them, that you, God, would take care of them beyond what we can provide. This we pray to the Lord. Lord, you're our prayer. God, we want to pray for our enemies. God, you know who those people are for those people who have persecuted us or wounded us. God, heal their brokenness. This we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And God, finally, for our friends and family members, for the gift and the blessing of good relationships, God, thank you for people that we can feel safe with, We give you thanks and pray for them to thrive. Thank you that you have given us good people in our lives who love us and care for us and nurture us and take care of us. This we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.